Hi everyone and welcome back to Processions. Um, I'm going to be reading today from a short story actually from the 20th century Argentine author Silvina Ocampo. Um, this is from a collection that was recently released of hers in English called Thus Were Their Faces. Ocampo is known for let's just call them fantastical qualities in her writing. She likes to play with metamorphoses and the figuration of childhood, which you'll see in this short story that I'm reading, which is more than one page, but not too much more, called Forgotten Journey. And the reason why I'm reading from it is because I think this theme of journey is going to be really interesting when we put it up against the Dante episode that recorded some a few episodes ago, thinking about entering into a problem midway. And so I'll read from Ocampo's text now. Forgotten Journey She was trying to remember the day she was born. She furrowed her brows so much that the adults interrupted her, telling her repeatedly to unwrinkle her forehead. That was why she couldn't reach the memory of her birth. Before they were born, children were held at a large department store in Paris. Their mothers ordered them and sometimes went in person to pick them up. She would have liked to watch the package being unwrapped, the box in which the babies were shipped, but she never reached the houses of newborns quickly enough. They arrived quite hot from the trip because they couldn't breathe very well inside the box. And that was why they were so red and cried incessantly, their toes curled up. But she had been born one morning in Palermo Park, making nests for birds. She couldn't remember having gone out of her house that day. She had the feeling that she had made the trip without a car or carriage, a trip full of mysterious shadows, and that she had woken up on a road lined with trees that smelled like Australian pines, where she had suddenly found herself making nests for birds. The eyes of Michaela, her nursemaid, followed her like two guards. The making of the bird's nest wasn't easy. They had several rooms each. They even needed a bedroom and a kitchen. The next day, when she returned to Palermo, she looked for the nests along the road lined with Australian pines. There weren't any left. She was about to cry when her nursemaid said, The little birds have taken the nests up to the trees, which is why they are so happy this morning. But her cruel sister, who was three years older than she was, laughed, pointing with her linen glove at the Palermo gardener, a one-eyed man who was sweeping with a broom made of gray branches. In addition to the dead leaves, he was sweeping up the last nest. At the moment, she felt like throwing up as if she had heard the sound of hammocks in the backyard of her house. Then time had passed, making the date of her birth seem desperately far away. Each memory was of a different baby girl, but all of them had her face. Each year she grew older, the group of girls that surrounded her expanded. Until one day, when she was playing in the study room, the daughter of the French chauffeur said, with atrocious, bloodthirsty words, Babies don't come from Paris, slowly adding, while looking around to see if the doors were listening, with unsuspected strength. Babies come from the tummies of their mothers. When they are born, they come out through the belly button. Who knows what other words dark as sin emerged from Germaine's mouth, though she didn't even pale upon saying them. That was when babies started to appear all over the place. Never before had so many children been born in her family. 
The women wore huge balloons on their stomachs. Each time an adult spoke about a newborn, an intense fire burned across her face, and she bent down to the ground looking for a ring or a handkerchief that hadn't fallen. All eyes turned toward her like beacons lighting up her shame. One morning, just out of her bath, watching the water swirling into the drain while her nursemaid wrapped her in a towel to dry her, she laughed and confided her horrible secret to Michaela. The nursemaid got very angry and assured her once again that babies came from Paris. She felt slightly relieved. But when night returned, anguish, mixed with the sounds of the street, took hold of her whole body. She couldn't sleep even though her mother kissed her over and over before going to the theater. The kisses had lost their power. And it was only after many days and many long dark nights, the enormous clock in the kitchen, the empty hallways of the house, the many grown-ups hiding behind doors, that she was lifted onto her mother's lap in the dressing room, and her mother said that babies didn't come from Paris. Her mother spoke about flowers and birds, and everything mixed up with Germaine's horrible secrets. Still, she desperately believed that babies came from Paris. A moment later, her mother said she was going to open the window, and after it, immediately her mother's face completely transformed. She was a lady in a feather-covered hat who just happened to be visiting the house. The window was almost shut, and when her mother told her that the sun was glorious, she saw the dark sky of night where no bird sang. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly enjoyed reading it to you. I There's a lot here that I think probably would outstrip even my expertise in the history of literature and literary style. But there's a few things that I want to note here thematically that I think are interesting. The first of which is this emphasis on origin and not remembering, right? We don't remember the origin. And this resonates for me with the first line of Dante's Inferno, which is midway on our journey. And so there's this sense of being, again, thrown into this confusing, perplexing world where up is down and down is up and left is right and things change and adapt and it's Alice in Wonderland, right? I mean this in a... In a serious sense right so there's this, this like surreal and fantastical quality this bending and and contortion of matter and the consistency of space-time and cause and effect and what I really find fascinating fantastic even about this short story and Ocampo's work in general is this pushing against the limits of linear narrative and not even just linear but the structure of thematic trust that we we can't quite get a hold of the character can't quite get a hold of where do babies come from where did i come from who am i who's my mom who's all around me i have no idea right it's it's all over the place and so there's something about this world that is conjured that is confusing that I actually kind of like because what it demonstrates is that you can't grasp everything all at once in its totality right there's not an absolute here that can be held it's it's too convoluted and and changing and and inarticulable and so there's that inarticulableness that I want to affirm right it's a 
it's a possibility of something that you can't quite grasp, right? It's an apophatic possibility to use a theological word or concept, meaning it's this negative possibility that is is it's mysterious, right? It's it's what you can't quite get at, and so there's all these weird ping-ponging, surrealist, analog paths of trying to get to this question of origin. Where, where, where are babies? Where do babies come from? From Paris? Capital City? No. Department stores? No. Belly buttons in this weird way and balloons and babies everywhere and then babies nowhere. And I think a lot of people encounter like the world in this way, not just as children but also as adults and I, I kind of want to honor that and like and and relate to it it's shit's confusing out there um and where do you go and who's right and who's telling you the right thing and who can you trust and what I like about it too is as a literary problematic it it it, it calls into question a need for something inarticulable that's provisioning this whole structure. And in, in, in this case, I think it's language, right? We, we, we can relate to the language. And I'm, of course, reading from a translation. It's written, originally written in Spanish. Um, but there's this sort of linguistic grounding that as a series of meaning-making names, right? Naming something that's inarticulable, we get this paradoxical association of untruths that still hold into some sort of truth that is never complete. It's never fully articulable. And I think there's something there to be learned about the way we can relate to political economy and be thrown into these apparatuses for reproduction, right? And this is ultimately where I think there's some thematic thematic registers here. The way society bears responsibility for dependence as such specifically in a temporal reproductive sense right and i'm not talking about reproduction as some sort of straight hetero cis act right i'm thinking in a broader sense at the level of how we might really take on the question of the future and young people and and provisioning modes of knowledge creation that honors this phenomenological rendering that a compo gives us and i hope you enjoyed this It's a little bit of a different one um and yeah we'll see you next time thank you <laughs>